the view of God about how to do family right. And so we want to pray and get right into it, back into it. This is the fourth portion, I think. Tonight will be number four. Father, we're grateful, thankful, and glad that you are our Father. And Lord, you are a good Father, just as we were singing, Lord, how true it is. And we look to you, Lord, as the example of the head of a family, a loving Father, a great provider, a great protector, and a great example for us, Lord, to follow. We can walk in your steps. We can be doers of the Word. You've never asked us to do anything that you will not empower us and help us to do. So, Lord, as we study these concepts, as we study these biblical principles, though they may seem like they're a long way from accomplishment in, in every aspect of our lives, we know we can get there. And we are determined that we're going to walk in the steps of faith that will take us to the places where we need to be in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. We said last week that relational problems can be very complicated. And that's an understatement, really. Uh, you know, if you've lived very long, that stuff can really get complicated. Sticky uh, messes can happen that just seem like there's no way to, to, for it to be uh, solved. But really, and this is not to trivialize or to uh, uh, downplay anybody's situation... God's solutions are very simple. His solutions are far more simple than our problems are complicated. And so that's why we want to focus on the solution, not the problem. Faith always focuses on God's word, which is the solution. It doesn't dwell on or live in the problem. It doesn't mean we deny the reality of whatever may be going on. It doesn't mean we... Uh, try to just ignore it and hope that's the answer. That's not the answer. But we do have a biblical way to deal with things to have victory. And you know, um, the people that you love most have the greatest potential to tick you off. <laughs> the people you're closest to, the people you spend the most time with, those are the people that have the greatest potential to just upset your apple cart and mess up your day. You know, you're not really too concerned about the last time you went to the grocery store, whoever checked you out. Even though they probably had on a name tag, you don't even remember their name. They're no problem to you. But maybe that person you rode to church with tonight, they might have gotten... <laughs> There's a reason. <laughs> One key to a good marriage is separate vehicles <laughs> and separate bathrooms. Separate closets. Separate, yeah. <laughs> there's a place for togetherness, but there's also a place to have your own stuff the way you want it. But anyway, we understand that generally the people we love most and care for the most, spend the most time with, those are the people we are going to have probably the most opportunities to be aggravated with or whatever. And so when we talk again tonight into this aspect and finish up, we're hoping tonight we'll finish up this passage from 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 through 8 in the Amplified Bible, that when we talk about love, that we understand that it is just as important that you walk in love in your home as it is that you walk Amen. in love on the job or towards your neighbors or towards your in-laws. Psalms 101 too. Work perfectly in my house. 
Amen. Is that what you were going to read? No. Psalm 101, <laughs> verse 2. I will walk uprightly, or perfectly, perfectly in my house. I'm going to make a statement that's pretty, pretty bold, but I think it, we need to, to grasp it. Uh, if you can get this love thing correct at home, yes. you can do it anywhere. Amen. If you can get it right at home, consistently, you can Amen. do it anywhere. And I'll add to that statement, too, that if you don't get that it... That verse is Psalm 101, verse 2. two. If you don't do that at home, um, what a shame that is. You know, if you treat other people better than you treat the people <coughs> you live with, the people that <coughs> love you and um, look after you, and you treat other people better than that, like Pastor preached the other day about the uh, man that passed away, and the preacher was just going on and on about what a fine man this was. And the mother told the son, go up there, son, and make sure that's your father in that casket. You know, that is a shameful indictment. Yes. Uh, and so we have to walk uprightly everywhere we are. The Lord sees us everywhere, and he knows our hearts, and he knows our coming and our going. Amen. Amen. How shameful it is. That somebody would uh, talk so mean and hateful and rude and short to their spouse or to their children. And then if a stranger came to the door, they'd be so manneredly, mm -hmm. put on a smile and act hospitable. We need to, we need to really examine our priorities. You know, uh, there's nobody that loves you like God, nobody that loves you like your mother, and nobody that loves you like your spouse. And your dad's in there too, and your kids are all in there. But you know what I mean. Uh, those, you need to really manifest love in the most important places, and then it'll be easy to get to it in the it other places as well. And so the word agape is the Greek word translated love that means the God kind of love that has been given to us. Romans 5, 5, shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. We read this last time. We won't take time to read it tonight. It's the love that's the fruit of the Spirit love, Galatians 5, 22. And um, it, it will, it's already there. We just have to draw it out. We, mm -hmm. we choose to do what love does. And, and you know, I know this, we're, we keep saying this over and over, and maybe you're tired of hearing it, but it's so important to know this, that love is more than a feeling. It's more than emotion. If you choose to do what love does, you will get the results that love brings. Amen. You don't have to feel like it to walk in love. You just do what love does. You may be angry. You may be hurt. You might be feeling used or abused. But the fact is, if you will do what love does, then God can get involved in your situation to the greatest extent possible to fix whatever's wrong. Because after all, 1 John uh, 7 and 8, God is love. Amen. So we... You produce fruit from love, don't you? We do. We do. And uh, if, if there's no fruit, then I would say there's not much love. You mentioned Galatians 5.22, and the CEV says, God's Spirit makes us loving makes us happy, makes us peaceful, makes us patient, 
makes us kind, makes us good, makes us faithful, makes us gentle and self-controlled. There is no law against behaving in any of these ways. Isn't that good? Praise the Lord. So I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4, down through the first part of verse 8. This will probably be the last time that we may read all of these in this series. We will move on to other things as we go. But I want to read it one more time. And I want you, as you listen, to understand that this that we're reading about is in every one of us. You are capable of this. You're just one choice away from doing these verses. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy. Is not boastful or vainglorious. Does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude, unmannerly, and does not act unbecomingly. Love God's love in us does not insist on its own rights or its own way. For it is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. Pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes, is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. Love never fails, never fades out, or becomes obsolete, or comes to an end. Amen. We went through phrase by phrase, that's what we're doing actually. We covered this one love endures long and is patient and kind. We uh, went over the next one love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy. Envy and jealousy are two wasted, two wastes of your energy, two wastes of your thought. Don't bother a minute. You don't ever have to be envious because God can always make another one. You don't need what somebody else has. And jealousy is crueler than the grave or as cruel as the grave, the scriptures tell us. And so, uh, you know, you don't have to try to make somebody love you. You don't have to try to make somebody do right by you. You do right and God will take care of you. And I want to say this because we're in a culture today And it's not new with today. It's been around a long time. But many times people have come into relationships that didn't work out. And even gotten married. And then they had a divorce. Um, What we find is that if you will choose to do what's right, God will always bring you the right person. No matter how dark the night may look. And no matter how lonely you may feel. And no matter how needy you may feel you can know that God knows exactly where you are and there is somebody tailor made exactly by God for you there is somebody who will put up with you amen I just, I'm just joking I'm really glad for that last part somebody will put up with me um, the next one is not boastful or vainglorious does not display itself haughtily, 
is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. Of course, this is selfishness. And I think we need to take a minute or two here. Uh, when you're always concerned about me, how will this make me look? Will this embarrass me? Will this uh, hurt me? Uh, is this going to cost me something? I just want to say off the bat, a relationship will always cost you something. As a matter of fact, it will literally cost you something. We make this statement a lot, but it's really true. There's no romance without finance. You act like you don't believe it, but... <laughs> it's true. It's true. We're almost to Valentine's Day. Um, uh, a relationship will always cost you something. A relationship will always produce in you sacrifice or your relationships won't work if if uh if you're not uh willing to consider the other person if it's always selfishness then you need to understand that's not love do you want to Amen. say something there I, I was thinking about how you know we have to be so careful <clears throat> that the spirit of the world doesn't come into our focus more than what we know to be love from the Bible. You know, um, we're inundated with, um, you know, fashion and uh, things that are more of the world than they are spiritually. So we have to be so careful not to let that spirit come into us, you know, um, the kids just did such a great job doing their Bible verses. And it's so important to bring your children to church. It's so important to live a godly example in front of them, to show them what biblical love is and how you interact with other people. You know, the Bible is very practical. Manners, have manners. And, um, you know, there's all kinds of... Um, names for things that um, are disorders and that's what happens when you get out of order out of God's order um, you know there's just things that you wouldn't have thought about years ago that have very practical solutions to them you know um, nutrition things like that you know just teaching them the word of God and um, having them recite the word teach your children Bible stories at an early age start training them to go to the word to find their identity you know uh, the world does not define us God's word defines us Amen. so it's important you know the church the role of the church is uh, huge in in the world you know, uh, he told us to go and make disciples, teach people, train them. And uh, if you don't have a church, if you don't go to church, you're getting your information and your identity from the world. And it's all messed up. It's, it's not going to produce a good product. It's not going to bring you joy and peace and happiness in your life. So it's so important to be a part of a church to train your children, to bring them up in the ways of the Lord, that they know who they are in Jesus and not let the spirit of the world uh, tell us otherwise. One of the important things about teaching scriptures, especially to children, 
is because the Word of God is God speaking to us. It's the primary way. We know the Holy Spirit speaks into our spirits, and we know we can be led by the Holy Spirit. But the primary way that God speaks to us is through His Word. And so when you teach your children scriptures, like these kids were, were, uh, were reciting tonight, you are teaching them to hear the voice of God. It's so important. You know, you can't expect a child to grow up and then be spiritually attuned to the leading of the Lord mm -hmm. if they are totally ignorant of the scriptures. Amen. And there's only so much we can do in a church service, you know, a couple of times a week, they're in a class, we do our best, but the primary place where kids learn about God should be from mom and dad. And even if one of the spouses are not saved, then whoever the other one is, you know, I, maybe it's not fair, but it's double duty, but it's worthwhile. Amen. Aren't you glad that there was a Susanna Wesley who gave birth to John and Charles Wesley. Aren't you glad there was a Mrs. Edwards? She not only made really good pies and cakes, but <laughs> that she gave birth to a son, Jonathan, who helped change the course of this nation. There was a Mrs. Whitfield in England who gave birth to a little boy named George who grew up and shook the nation. We could go on and on and on uh, with this kind of thing. It didn't start, their ministry didn't start on X day of X year and they just burst on the scene. Mm -hmm. It may look that way as we look back at history, but all of that began when these were little boys, little kids, and there was a mother and then there was a dad perhaps that brought them up in the things of God. It is so important that we, uh, that we do this. And one of the great keys is teaching children not to be selfish. You know, you don't have to teach selfishness. It's, it's automatic. Just go to the nursery. You'll find out they, they, they figure out really quick that they want what they want and mm -hmm. what's theirs is theirs. Well, we have to learn not to be selfish. And that's where we come And in. when that is not that's in love. check, when that is not in check, it, it maybe is not so important when they're toddlers, but when they begin to interact with other people, you know, that can be a major problem. I mean, um, you don't want your children to be obnoxious. Amen. And you don't want to be the only person that really loves them <laughs> while everybody else dreads to see them come. And we are really intruding on uh, <laughs> Dina and Jason's uh, teaching uh, here, but uh, seemed like we got off of track and Excuse couldn't get me. back on. I don't know. <laughs> Love is not rude, unmannerly, and does not act unbecomingly. And in my notes I have here, love respects and honors, and that manners have to be taught. That's, that's what we're, we're saying. And we closed off last week. We finished out by talking about how that children learn how to relate to a spouse by how they see their parents relate to each other. Uh -huh. uh, it's, you know, it can be overcome. The obstacles can be overcome. And revelation can come to people and they can learn better. But how much easier it is for children to grow up and then get into good marriages if they've had a good marriage to pattern after at home. And so many times when men don't treat their, their wives right and wives don't treat their husbands right, 
then their children grow up with those same tendencies. Mm -hmm. And if men are short and hateful uh, with their wives, if they are uh, um, not very uh, loving and kind, then you'll see sometimes young men will grow up, and that's the way they'll treat young ladies in their life, and vice versa with young ladies who grow up and, and they're, they're not taught how to respect uh, a man, a man of God. And you see, you understand, too, in all of this, we're talking about men and women of God. We're believers. So our marriages are not going to look like the world's look. Uh, you're not going to go find a TikTok video that's going to pattern what we're saying here, usually. You're going to have to carve out your own little world in today's culture. I mean, I really, honestly, 30 years ago, I would have never thought I would have lived to see the craziness of the times we're in now. And if I didn't have faith in God, and if I didn't know the Word of God, and if I didn't know God... I would be scared. I would be in a lot of dread about what's going on. My only hope, our only hope, is God and His Word. Mm -hmm. If you are counting on the public school system, the public education yeah. system, if you're counting on a college degree that's going to kind of fix all the stuff in your kids or whatever, you're in a fantasy world. Amen. You've got to take this thing on and, and, and the beginning, the root of all of this is what we're talking about. Remember, the, the problems can be very complicated. The answers are not. It it's, comes back to loving God and loving people. The next one, I'll read it and then we can talk okay. about it if you want. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way. That's hard, isn't it? How many like to get your way? I do. <laughs> I like to get my way the way I want it, when I want it, how I want it. I just like things my way. And, uh, you know, if I let my nature, my, my old nature, my fleshly nature, if I let it just dominate, then it would be my way or the highway. <laughs> but uh, what I've found is, and I've observed this over the years, if, you, if someone has that attitude, it's my way or the highway, most people will choose the highway. <laughs> And you're left alone Just go on your with way. your hateful old self. <laughs> Nobody wanting to deal with you or be around you. And I don't want to live that way. I'm sure you don't either. So love, God's love in us does not insist on its own rights or its own way. For it is not self-seeking. Again, we're not all about ourselves. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. I I'll never forget years ago, probably, oh, I don't know, 30 five years ago or more being in a place where I had to deal with a situation in a church and um, it wasn't pleasant I wasn't happy about it I didn't enjoy it I didn't want to do it but I actually had to rebuke somebody and stop the situation that was going on and I remember someone who was there uh, was very sincere about it and, and they wanted me to know this uh, because they did not appreciate what I had done and said um, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything that I, I'm sorry for today. I'm sorry it had to be done, but I, I did what I had to do as a pastor. And so they told me, they said, we're easy hurt. As if that means, you know, you, you shouldn't tell me to stop something. You, you shouldn't be honest with me. You shouldn't rebuke something that's obviously very wrong and shouldn't be going on. Because, you know, I'll get hurt about it. So, you know, this scripture says we're not supposed to be that way. 
We're not supposed to be touchy, fretful, or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to suffered wrong. Let me say it this way. Love doesn't keep score. Mm -hmm. You want to go ahead? No. Keep going. (laughs) All right. (laughs) But you've met people like that, haven't you? They're scorekeepers. Mm -hmm. If you talk about something very long, they'll, they'll remind you. And it might be something 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 30 years ago. That they're still offended about. They're still hurt over. They, they still believe that somebody owes them or, or about it because, you know, that was wrong. Love doesn't keep score. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. There's a scripture in Amos chapter 5 and verse 15 that uh, I'm not going to turn and read that scripture. That's the reference if you want to note it, Amos 5.15. But basically what this verse reveals to us is what God's idea of holiness is. You know, holiness is important because without it, we can't see God. God is a holy God. And holiness is not necessarily your choice of clothing, your hairstyle, whether or not you use makeup or lipstick, or whether you wear nice clothes or, you know, make, it, make your clothing from feed sacks. That's not the whole idea of holiness. Holiness, according to this verse, is loving what God loves and hating what God hates. That's what holiness is. It's when you love what God loves and you hate what God hates. And I think it was F.F. Bosworth who made this statement that if you want what God wants for the same reason he wants it, then nothings, it's not going to be impossible for you. Amen. So when you start loving what God loves, so, so that's why we can't embrace every kind of, quote, lifestyle that people purport. That's why we can't agree with every uh, new fad that comes down the pike in, in pop culture and in modern culture. It's not that you hate people, but you, you do hate ungodliness. And you don't hate it because you're angry because they get to do the fun stuff and you don't. I think sometimes people have that idea about Christianity that we're just a bunch of old fuddy-duddies and we're all, you know, we got, we got ourselves all twisted up and we're in a bad foul mood because we don't get to do all the fun stuff that the world does. That's not it at all. We understand the end of sin when it is completed. If there's no repentance, the end of that is death. Mm -hmm. We understand that, for instance, right now in 2023, all the craziness that's out there, there's going to come a day of reckoning. And I don't just mean at the judgment day. But I mean, even in the, in the not-too-distant future in our culture, we're going to have uh, uh, an epidemic beyond what we've ever probably seen in our lifetime of mental illnesses mm-hmm. and demonic oppression and even demonic possession because of some of the things that people are opening themselves up to and the lies and the perversions that they are partaking of. I don't say that because I hate anybody, but I know where this is going. Because 
This isn't the first time cultures have went this route. I'll make this statement, and I know it's controversial, and some people would think it's not a good thing to make, and I don't make it, you know, disagreeing with somebody is not hating them. That's right. That word's been hijacked by people, but that's, that's, there's a difference in hating people and disagreeing with people. But you can read history if you can find a true history book, one that's not been <laughs> so edited that it's not even accurate anymore. But true history will show you there's never been a culture in human history. In 6,000 years, there's never been a culture that embraced homosexuality, same-sex relationships, that embraced it as normal, that ever survived. What we're seeing out here, the so-called sexual revolution, it's not new. This has been repeated time and time and time again. Usually there's just so many centuries between that the people involved in the current uh, debacle, didn't, they weren't around in the last one. They don't really know how it all ended. But it never ends well. From the days that Abraham interceded for Sodom and Gomorrah, all the way to the days of Israel going in back into the promised land with an order to cleanse the land for them to indwell it. All the way through the empires of, of Greece and Rome and on through, you can see again and again and again that when people veer off the road map, it ends in death. It ends in poverty. It ends in destruction. And great civilizations with great wealth and great ingenuity end up being barren wastelands. And people turn into barbarians living only after their flesh when they walk away from the things of God. And sadly, that's what's going on in this country. Without a major, major, major move of God, this country's lost. It's gone. The best days are over. We have to rise up as so a church. The only answer is, is the church. The, the church. only answer is the people of God. And I want to say this. If we, cannot, if we can't handle 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 teaching about a, a spiritual force that is already inside of us, that's put in there by the Holy Ghost, if we won't handle that properly, you can forget about winning the world. Mm -hmm. If you can't conquer what's in the four walls of your house, then you're not going to go out and win a world. This stuff starts where you live, where I live. If I can't walk in love at home, then I'm not going to be worth much as a, as a witness for Jesus in the world. Amen? When the church goes silent, it's, it's such a terrible, terrible thing for society. You know, we are the only answer. And... Um, you know, to teach people who they are in Christ Jesus is such a key to victory. You know, uh, Fred Price used to say that um, if, uh, I can't remember exactly how Allie said it, it's been so long, but the essence of what he said was if you were, um, you were before a court of law, because of your Christianity, because of your belief in God, would there be enough evidence to convict you? You know, we can't be uh, closet Christians. No. You know, uh, bigotry and hate and things like that have been confused with 
Christianity, and uh, we have been given a bad name, but, you know, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, these are traits of Christian people, and the world, they don't see that in people today. They don't see people even that are happy and carefree, and when you go out into the world with those characteristics, then you're like a a bug to a light, you know. You're just automatically drawn to that. And I have to say this too, and it will probably go into uh, Dina and Jason's teaching, but our children have to be taught that because the strangest people will be drawn to your children because they stand out as so different. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have to teach them that, you know, you are there to be a light. You know, you don't get involved in, with people in a way that is not the call of God on your life. Your, your call is to be different. Your call is to be a light. Your call is to help those people and uh, stay out of their mess, bring them over to the light. But, but they, you need to prepare your children that the, that the devil has people out there to sidetrack them, to get them off course, and um, that their gifts, their callings, and their talents can be sidetracked. And it's very important to prepare children when they go out to school you know, to tell them who they are, say to them, you know, make them repeat some... Make confessions. Some confessions, yes. Who they are. And, and be prepared for the world, to be light to them. You know, those people that are drawn to you, you know, know your assignment. Know what, you know, why God has brought them into your life so that you can help them and be a light to them. And understand that uh, it's okay to be different. This is for adults. It's for children as well. It's, it's all right to be different. As a matter of fact, if you're not different from the world, you're not doing your job. You know, and we don't win the world by, by trying to be as much like them as possible. You know, you don't, That's right. you know we don't, you don't go to some remote part of the world and convert cannibals by just simply giving them a knife and a fork and an air fryer. That's funny. You know, you, you, some things you just shouldn't do. (coughs) You shouldn't eat people. And so they, if somebody's doing it, they need need to know better. Excuse me. Amen. We are running out of time. There's one thing that we want to cover before we go tonight and we'll come back next week and go further. But as we move from 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, we want to take a little bit of time to talk about priorities. Uh, Priorities are choices. Everybody say that with me, would you? Priorities are choices. Say, my choices. My choices. Reveal my priorities. Reveal my priorities. See, priorities are choices about what we esteem as important. You know, you can look at people and you can tell what they think is important by their priorities. What do, what's first in their life? Mm-hmm. What's second? What's third? Uh, you could, uh, you know, I'm not encouraging you to, to do this or, tr- or even try it, but, but if you could look at someone's uh, check register or you go online, their, their checking account, 
you'd find out where, where their heart is. Because Jesus taught us that our money follows our heart. Amen? Or our, I'm sorry, that our, our, our heart follows our money. And so if I can see where your money goes, I know where your heart's going. And so these priorities are, are important. And what we want to teach in this series is to prioritize your life based on biblical principles, on eternal principles. And I want to say a couple of things that's important. Like I said, we'll talk more about it next time. But you cannot prioritize without saying no as well as yes. Think about that for a minute. You cannot establish true priorities in your life without being able to say no to some things and yes to other things. And saying no, whether it's saying no to the person that offers you drugs or saying no to the person who wants to go to bed with you and they're not your spouse or saying no to the person who wants to go out and let's party. Why don't we just see how drunk we can get and if we can still make it home? Those kinds of crazy things. When you say no to that, you're not being rude. That's right. You're not being mean. You're not being unkind. You're not being insensitive. You're being smart. And you're being godly. Saying no is all about the why. Priorities are all about the why. So the first priority that we want to talk about, and we want to leave you with this tonight before we go, the first priority in all of our lives is not our wives not our husbands. It's not our precious little babies or grandbabies. It's not our jobs or our businesses that provide the bread on the table and the gasoline in the car. Our first priority as a believer on an individual basis is our own personal relationship with God. There is nobody, no relationship, no person worth going to hell for. That's a pretty strong statement. But it's absolutely true. If you put God first, then there will be some relationships that probably you will have to curtail. And if you put God first, that means all other relationships are secondary to it. Now, we pointed this out before, but it's good to know, for instance, you can have a great marriage with God first. I know that I am not Glenna's first priority. She knows that she's not my first priority. We each know for each other that God is our first priority. Amen. I have no problem that she loves God more than she loves me. I have no problem with the fact that she is committed to obeying Him even over and above that which I might want her to do. Because we've settled this issue. And because I love her and because she loves me, I would never ask her to compromise her relationship with God just to do something that I want to do. And so if you really love someone, we, we truly want them to develop their relationship with God Amen. first and foremost. Let me give you these, and we may repeat some of this next time, but just to leave this with you as we go tonight. If, you, if God is first in your life, if, if he is priority one, then that means we seek God first in time. He gets the best of our time.
first fruits. Number two, we please God first before we please anybody else. Number three, we love God above other people. And we don't have time for sure tonight to talk about this, but the biblical measuring stick for love that Jesus taught us, for instance, in John chapters 14, 15, and I think 16, if you want to study it, the yardstick for how much you love God is your obedience if to you Him. you keep my commandments. Yes. And so loving God above others. And then number four is worshiping God alone. He's the only one we worship. We don't worship a sports team. We don't worship at the altar of money. We don't worship at the altar of career. We don't worship at the altar of education. We don't worship at the altar of entertainment. We worship God alone. So no matter what's on the schedule of the world, as far as I'm concerned, church is first because that's where I go to worship God in spirit and truth and to connect with the body of Christ and to serve with the body of Christ. These all form your priorities. Worshiping God alone and then the last one is living a lifestyle of holiness. If my priority is God, then I want to live like he wants me to live. Now that doesn't mean we neglect the relationships that he gives to us. That doesn't mean we don't take care of the other things we need to take care of. That means we put God first. That's our lifestyle. Amen. That's how we live. Amen. We've done this now for almost 48 years of marriage and it's, it's not something we struggle over. We never get up on Sunday morning or sit around on Saturday night and say, well, you know, I just don't know if I'm going to go to church tomorrow or not. And I'm going to be honest with you. I know you might question if it would be so or not, but even if we were retired, even if I wasn't a pastor, I wouldn't just sit home. I would be committed to the house of the Lord. Amen. I, I'm, uh, uh, God is first. And when you do that, it makes everything else so much better. I, I need to shut down. You go Amen. ahead and finish if you'd like. I, I was thinking about that, that song, He's Done So Much For Me, I Cannot Tell It All. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's nowhere else to go. There's no other place, you know. It, uh, Christianity is the whole package. Yes, it's it everything is. you need, you know, uh, healing, your salvation, uh, all your relationships. You know, there's, there's no other way to live. And uh, I'm so thankful that I can be part of the family of God Amen. and uh, serve with other Christians and that we can make a difference in our society and in our world. And we have what they need and the only answer we have that. And so we need to go out into the world and be witnesses for him. Amen. And like I said, you know, bigotry, there's no place for that. But the Bible <clears throat> says whatever good thing that you make happen for somebody else, then that will come back to you. The Lord will make it happen for you. Amen. Amen. So we're going to continue on with this in our next session. And we want to get to the part where we talk about the roles of the husband and of the wife. And... Um, that's always fun. <laughs> and uh, we've got some really good information to share with you there. We are not teaching this because we're perfect. We're not teaching this That's because right. we've got it all together. These are things that are still a part of what we strive for and seek God for. And we want you to do it as well because it just makes for a great life.
Amen. You know, I, I think about how blessed we are. But you know what? I've never bought a can of beer in my life. I've never bought a, a lotto ticket in my life. I've never bought a bottle of whiskey in my life. I've never went to Vegas and placed a bet on anything in my life. And also, I've kept the same wife for 48 years. You know, it's really difficult to build <laughs> net to worth. To keep your wife for days? No, 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 no. <laughs> I didn't get to finish my statement. Uh, it's difficult to build net worth when you have to give half of it away every 12 or 14 years. And uh, so there's a lot of reasons why, you know, uh, you can be blessed uh, just by living a godly lifestyle, just by saying yes. I've, we've made lots of mistakes, but we, we sure have had a lot of fun. We married when we were 17 years old. Oh, my goodness. You weren't supposed to tell and that. We were so we were so young and so stupid. That had we not had the Spirit of God, I shake and tremble to think what would have happened to us. But he has been so faithful to us, even though we made mistakes, even though we did things that, you know, that were not right. Um, we, did, we did the best that we knew at the time. And uh, God has been so faithful to us. Mm -hmm. I would not change one thing other than I would have sought him more, you know, and uh, read his word more. And, uh, I would have eaten less so and faithful. saved more money, but anyway. He's been so faithful to us. <laughs> Amen. He's given us his spirit. We think his thoughts. Amen. We act the way he has uh, demonstrated Praise through God. his word, and we have victory. Amen. And we'll have the victory over this night and let you go home. Mm -hmm. Sunday, we're going to have a great time. Lots of stuff going on Sunday. You're going to meet, uh, you're going to get to see some folks as they commit to membership. Several people to be water baptized. It's going to be a fun day. We're continuing to teach about faith. I'm enjoying where the Lord's taking us. Uh, these are some, some things we're saying we've never said before. I encourage you to believe with me for utterance in the Holy Ghost and come expecting. Bring a friend. Tell somebody if they're not around, if they can watch it online. And uh, let's just get this word out to as many people as possible. Amen. And this week, this week, go and spill out God's love on someone. Amen. This world is in a bad, bad shape, and they need Jesus. And just a kind deed, just a, a, a simple act of love can draw people to Jesus, and they need the Lord. Amen.